You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, Sixers fans, welcome to a new episode of Sixers Daily. I'm your host, Jazz Kang. A big win in game one for Philly. Defeating the Raptors 131-111. Tyrese Maxey was great. Tobias Harris also looked really good. Didn't need huge outings from Joel Embiid or James Harden. We'll jump into that. But before we do, don't forget, subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. Always appreciate a five-star review. We'll have you covered all the way throughout the playoffs. A couple of new shows launching as well in the feed. So keep an eye out for those this week. Joining me for this one, like he does many a times for post-game, Mr. Jackson Frank. Jackson, a lot of things went well for the Sixers really from the beginning of this game all the way through until the end. I think the big one was, aside from the individual performances, the team only had three turnovers. That ties an NBA record for fewest in a playoff game. But when you were looking at this and you know going over the numbers right now, Tyrese Maxey was just dynamite. 38 points on 14 to 21 shooting, made five of eight from deep. You had 26 points from Tobias Harris. And then below them, Joel Embiid, and James Harden, Harden had 22 and 6 of 17. Embiid didn't shoot the ball very well at 5 of 15, but he had 19 points, dominant on the glass with 15 rebounds. When you look at this performance from the Sixers, what do you credit for them being so successful, especially on the offensive end? Well, I think it comes down to two things. Um, and, you know, uh, we all, everyone who covers the Sixers, and even really just root for them, talked about kind of the three big things with the, with the Raptors, right, that, they force a lot of turnovers. They get a lot of offensive rebounds and they run in transition a ton because they don't have a great half court offense. And the Sixers limited all of that. They only had three turnovers, as you said. They got more offensive rebounds than the, than the Raptors did. And I think the Sixers were 29th or 30th in offensive rebounding rate this year, while the Sixers, well, the Raptors were second. Yeah. Um, that wasn't something you'd expect to happen. Uh, and they limited the, the Raptors' transition. The Raptors only had about 12% of their shots in transition, only scored. Uh, 100 points per 100 possessions in transition, which is not good at all. That's bad for half-court offense. It's awful for a transition offense. So um, those are the biggest things is that those are kind of the pillars of this Raptors team, taking, getting turnovers, getting extra possessions, and running on, running in the fast break. And none of that really happened consistently or successfully for the, for the Raptors. And then you combine that with, as you mentioned, great shot-making performances from Tyrese and Tobias, and then a really good passing game from, uh, you know, from, from Harden. And, then, you know, I think, Joel wasn't great, but he didn't turn over the ball at all. He faced a bunch of double teams in the second half, especially. And, you know, you can call missed shots, turnovers you want. I think that's a, a reasonable thing, but um, they just, they, they were really good all around. And that's, I think that's kind of the ripple effect of having Tobias play well and Tyrese play well and having Harden around is that you play a really good team like Toronto and you don't need a great effort from Joel in the playoffs. Like they've, they've won playoff games previously when Joel hasn't been great. But it's usually been against you know a first round opponent when they're a one seed or a or a three seed or whatever it's been. So um, to be a four and beat a really good team that's been playing really excellent basketball for a while, despite your best player not being great offensively, I think is a, is a really really impressive showing. Yeah, and and you know again you're looking at this game and looking at what they got from the bench. Shake had ten points, 
George Niang had eight and you got basically 24 points combined from, from the second unit, not a great outing from them in terms of offensively, but they, you don't need it when you have four guys scoring 19 points and above. And you look at, like we mentioned, like Tobias Harris, 26 points. And when the Sixers have four guys rolling like this, and especially at the level that those guys are at, particularly just in their careers, going to be tough to beat them. And, and you look at that first half, the Sixers were up 69-51 at the break, out-rebounded Toronto by 10, looked really good in transition, and they were able to push the ball a lot. And we've been talking, you know, we're talking during the, the preview that we did on the podcast network about how the Sixers not very athletic, so they've struggled a little bit in terms of getting out and running. Why do you think they were able to take advantage of those Toronto misses so much, especially in that first half where they built up that lead? Yeah, so I mean, their defensive scheme was really to take advantage of the six or the Raptors' lack of floor spacing, and even their good shooters, besides maybe Gary Trent and Fred Van Vliet, or I would say credible shooters, are hesitant, whether it's a Pascal Siakam or a Precious Achua or an OG Ananobi. Uh, and so they really loaded the paint. They took away the offensive rebounding chances, and the Raptors still crashed in the glass a lot, right? Because they they that's their that's their mantra. And then the Sixers were able to get out in space, whether it was a Harden getting a couple of buckets or making things happen on the break, or Joel getting deep seals. Um, so they load the paint. They, they, I don't know. I, I don't know if they necessarily boxed out better, but they had more men around the rim and that makes it easier to prevent offensive rebounding chances. And so from there, you, you just run, you get out and run. You, you obviously have Max. He was a dynamo in transition. Joel is good at that kind of early offense seal stuff. And he's, you know, clearly got a height advantage and size advantage over the Raptors front line uh, and Harden found some open space. So that was the most impressive. Yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at the kind of the clean, cleaning the glass game summary and, you know, the, the Sixers, transition frequency was 14.6%. The Raptors was 12.1. As I said earlier, the Raptors only scored 100 points per 100 possessions. The Sixers were 190 points per 100 possessions. That was a very small <laughs> That's pretty damn good, yeah. <laughs> but like that, you wouldn't expect that, right? Like you would, you, the Sixers could have won if the numbers were inverse, but mm-hmm. it kind of beat them at their own game in terms of, you know, winning the offensive rebounding battle and then being better in transition. It's going to be really hard for this Raptors team to win. I don't, I don't know if this is necessarily sustainable for, you know, three more wins, but one is one is enough for now. So when you when you do that, when you do that so well against a couple of tenants of, of Toronto's skill or ability, you're going to be in a good spot. And then you add in, obviously, as we said, Tyrese being great, Tobias being great in the half court and everything, Joel and Tobias and even Danny at times defensively, you're, you're in a good spot. Yeah, looking at that, the Raptors, as I mentioned, average 13.4 offensive rebounds per game were held to only seven. And those a majority of those came in the second half with the Sixers were up double figures. Uh, you mentioned Tyrese Maxey, obviously just, a dynamite performance from him in terms of offensively attacking the lane, getting out in transition. Also saw some two-man game with him and Harden in, in, in the screen and roll action. When, when you look at Maxi's performance, I don't think he's going to score 38 points per game. Don't, don't get me wrong. But is there a way the Sixers can use him in this role consistently? And are they going to be at their best if Tyrese Maxey, again, uh, Embiid is obviously the number one guy, but if Tyrese Maxey slots in as your number two scorer, do you think that bodes well for the Sixers going forward? Well, I think what's so impressive about Tyrese is like you feel fine when he leads the team in scoring, right? Because like or leads the team in shots, even obviously, you know, 21 shots for him, 17 for Harden, 15 Embiid, 14 Tobias. Like, like Tyrese has proven to be totally fine when you need to give him six more shots in the game. When, you know, in those games that Joel's missed this year, even maybe a couple when Harden was out as well. Like he's he's good to give you 25 or 30 points. And uh, of course, he's not going to go 14, 21 every game, 38 points, but you, you, he's not that he's not kind of this second or third option where you're like, okay, you can only take 12 to 14 shots in light. And if you get more than that, the, the defense is kind of winning because where they're forcing more shots to him. No, that's, 
that is totally fine for Terry because he can take jumpers off the dribble. He can tack off the catch. He can take the spot ups. He can get on transition. So I think like you're totally fine if he has, you know, a game where he's 10 of 21 or 11 of 21, you may, he may be even nine of 21. So um, yeah, I think they're in a totally fine spot. If the Raptors are, are going to sell out, especially if they did in the second half to, to slow Joel and even throw two on the ball against Harden at times, you are perfectly comfortable with your 18 point per game score on 59% true shooting to take a bigger portion of the shots. So um, that's what makes Tyrese so impressive is that obviously he's not the top of the pecking order, but if he has to be on a given night, you feel fine with that because he's such a versatile and good scorer, especially working off of, you know, advantages that Harden and, and Joel create in those pockets of space that he can use with his and get to with his speed and, and you know, his touch and all that. So um if he averaged 21 shots the rest of the game, you know, the rest of the series, um, obviously you don't want a bunch of six of 21 games sprinkled in there, but um, he maintained pretty good efficiency. I think the Sixers offense would still be in a fine spot because that's just a testament to how good he can be in this role. Yeah. And the fans were, were, were appreciating Maxi too. We saw here, heard a ton of chants like Maxi, Maxi when he's at the line. Also another guy, the fans are chanting for Jackson. You don't see it all the time. Paul Reed, <laughs> we got to see him get some run. And we talked a little bit about doc and, kind of some of the stuff that we were a little bit worried about coming into the series in terms of making adjustments. So we know with Eibel's situation, likely not going to be able to play in games three and four in Toronto just because of his vaccination thing. So Danny Green got the start, uh, although Matista get 19 minutes in this one. And then instead of seeing DeAndre Jordan or the corpse of Paul Millsap, we saw Paul Reed. He played 11 minutes, had three rebounds, did commit four fouls, which we said this that is going to be an issue. Also had three points as well. But when you look at... The fact that Doc was willing to at least give this young guy some run in the first game of the postseason. How encouraging of the sign was that for you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you have to be, I think, like, you know, you have to be encouraged by the the game plan that Doc and his coaching staff had. Um, as I said at the start, the first half defense was really, really good. Um, loading the paint, forcing the Raptors to beat you from outside, and they aren't really comfortable doing that. Obviously, they let go of the rope a little bit in the second half. Um, you know, their offensive rating, I think, ended up being for the Raptors, ended up being 122, which is quite good. Um, but when your offensive rating is 147, you have a little bit more margin for error in terms of how you know you approach every defensive possession. So um testament to that. Like, you know, Paul, yeah, Paul Reed four fouls, but who cares? Because you're playing Joel 37 minutes and Joel was sensational on defense. Um, you know, five fouls, clearly some of which he disagreed with, especially the last one there. Um, but I thought he was really good and help even, you know, had some possession on Siakam. So, um, just a really good all around game plan. I think you have to be encouraged, you know, I, you know, that's, you know, we, everyone talked about this series coming in, like how big of a disadvantage the Sixers had on the coaching staff, uh, you know, versus, versus the Raptors coaching staff, Nick nurse and whatnot. Um, and I, I, I don't know if I necessarily paid enough attention to the Raptors side of things, but, um, in terms of how they approached it, but I think doc gave this team a good game plan and clearly they are ready. And obviously that. First and foremost, the, the praise goes to the players, but, you know, a coach's job is to, you know, get his players to believe in the message that he is preaching. And so whatever Doc had ready for this team, they, they you know, they, they clearly they clearly believed and it resonated with them. So, um, you know, like I said, first first credit goes to the players, but Doc, I think, did a really good job in his coaching staff and Dan Burke and whatnot. And even the offensive side of things with Dave Yeager, I think they all deserve praise. So. Um, that was encouraging and it was good that, you know, I thought Paul Reed was fine overall. It didn't, you know, I don't know if he was like instrumental in them, them holding their own when, when Joel was off the floor, but, um, he wasn't, it wasn't like some of the DeAndre and Millsap games we've seen where like, clearly there's six points. And like I can, I can, I can clearly identify that those are, you know, that Paul Millsap or Deandre Jordan's the culprit there. So, uh, 
Um, it helps when you tie some minutes together with Max or Harden, but uh, yeah, I thought that was, you know, a good showing from him overall. And, you know, just the, the coaches have to serve him credit as well for, for the kind of the game plan that was clearly one that the Raptors had some struggles with. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, nobody's saying that Paul Reed won, won them this game. You know what I mean? But I, I think it's just the fact that he's a plus player. And when he when he's come in, he's made some sort of an impact as opposed to the opposite, which we've seen with DJ and Millsap, which is they're actually hurting you more than they're helping you on the court. And, and like you mentioned, you have four fouls in 11 minutes. No big deal. You know what I mean? Because you're not going to be playing a majority of the game. and The Sixers don't need them out there. But I think just seeing Paul Reed just be as active as he was trying to do some things, whether that was you know, coming over to help side there, he had one, you know, cheap foul on, on Van Vliet. But I mean, again, those are the little things you're going to have to deal with if you're hoping to have a little bit of a net positive at the end, as opposed to just nothing but negative from your backup center. I want to go back to talking about uh, Harden, Jackson, look at, looking at uh, what he did. He had 14 assists in this one, as I mentioned off the top, six of 17 shooting. So not great. We haven't seen him shoot the ball well, really over the last month or so since he, he joined the Sixers. He did have a couple of nice outings um, early on in his tenure, but haven't seen that from him. But again, looking at what he brings and in that third quarter, the Sixers were up by 24 early on the Raptors got it down to 11. They had some bad offensive decisions. Joel, as you mentioned, didn't have turnovers, but was forcing it in the offensive end, took some bad shots, uh, back shots, pardon me, Harden as well. And that allowed the Raptors to kind of cut in and get some easy buckets in transition on the Sixers. But with the lead at 11, Harden hits a three, hits a layup, and then finds Maxi on that gorgeous pass for, for a lay-in. When you look at Harden now, he played 40 minutes in this game. I don't think any of us are expecting him to turn back the clock and become this James Harden that scores 38 points and has you know 15 assists and 15 rebounds. The Sixers don't need him to do that, but they're going to need him to have stretches like he did as the aforementioned one that I just said that he basically contributed seven straight points with his offensive prowess. When you look at his role in this series, and we talked about this before, the Raptors very long, not a ton of size in terms of seven footers, but have a bunch of guys who are in that six, seven, six, eight to six, nine range. And you're looking at what Harden can bring. If he averages, let's just say 20 points, 10 assists, you know, 12 assists, but doesn't shoot the ball as well. Is that still considered a good series from him? Or do you think there's more? Cause you look at the national media, Jackson, a lot of people like Harden's not the same. Well, people who watch the Sixers all the time, we know that, He's not going to be that guy anymore, and they don't need him to be. So when you, when you look at, at at Harden's game, what are you hoping to see from him as we get through the rest of this postseason run for Philly? Yeah, I think I think with Harden, it's such an interesting conversation because yes, of course he's not the MVP guy that he was a year and a half ago, um, but he's still an All Star, and I think he was a deserving All Star this year. Still got averaged. 22 on 59% true shooting or something like that this year, maybe 58, which is a little bit of above league average. If he just does that, they're fine. And I, and I think also what happens with Harden is there's a lot of aesthetic bias because he has a lot of possessions that look really, really ugly. And I, I, I do, I'm not blaming anyone for maybe, you know, feeling that his drop off has been greater than it actually is. But um, you have to look at the, at the end of the day that like, yeah, he wasn't great tonight, but he had 14 assists, one turnover. He was great as a passer. I thought he was fine defensively, had some pretty nice plays as well at times. Uh, and his true shooting is about 55, which isn't good, but it's not awful um, because he was four or seven from three. Four of his six makes from were worth three points, which is a quite a valuable way to approach scoring. So um, the key will, for, for, will be for him to shoot better inside the arc. Obviously, going two of 10 on twos is bad, like very bad. I don't need to you know spell it out, but um, he's not going to go four or seven from three uh, all the time. So Figuring out that sort of navigating the Raptors' length and size, you kind of alluded to, is going to be important. But 
Um, he keeps up that passing. He's been prone at times some sloppy reads, losing his handle and having four or five turnover games. If he can stay down kind of the one to three turnover range with, you know, double digit assists, eight, nine assists, the bare minimum, they're going to be in the, I'm talking, I'm, I'm not just saying like eight, like, I'm not just saying like he passes the ball to Tobias Harris for one open three, but like actually kind of breaks down the defense like he did in this one. They're going to be fine. Um, his passing was so good. Obviously the, the pass to Max, he was incredible in transition. We had a really nice pass to shake late in the third. Um, you know, as you mentioned, they, the Raptors cut to 11 at one point. And I think Harden scored or assisted on like 14 of the next 17 or 18 points. And you're not getting that from a Ben Simmons or a Seth Curry or an Andre Drummond. That's, this is the kind of the reason you bring James Harden in because he can break down the defense and hit that step back three, get in the lane, really kind of force the defense into rotation. So um, that run was key for the Sixers to not crumble. And I don't think like, obviously the, the game shakes out way differently when you have different players, but um, you're not getting that from the guys that he was traded for. So um, that's why they brought him in to kind of carry the load when things grow stale, you know, or things kind of need a different direction than the Joel centric offense. So um, he doesn't have to reinvent the wheel. He's still a very good player, but um, definitely gonna have to figure out some things inside the arc because he's not going to go four or seven from three every game. Um, maybe though, I mean, the playoffs are, you know, prone to small samples, but you can't rely on him shooting 56% from three for an entire series. Well, of course. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and I think that's where, that's where the concern has been for Harden throughout a majority of his tenure with the Sixers is just his lack of burst. Again, the hamstring might be an issue, might not be, but if you're putting up 22 and 14, regardless, if you shoot six or 17 and you're getting the, the minutes that you got from Maxi and, and Tobias Harris, tough to argue with, with, with the final results, Jackson, we did see some injuries to some key Raptors, the most key one being obviously Scotty Barnes, uh, also Thad Young had to lead this game. And also I want to talk about some of the adjustments Nick Nurse might be able to make going into game two. Let's do that after a short break. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we're back, Jackson. I was just mentioning there before the break, Scotty Barnes had a nasty-looking ankle Injury. I mean, Joel ended up stepping on his left foot. It was completely within the game. Nothing, you know, cheap or malicious. Uh, turned it pretty bad. Also, Thad Young dealing with a sprained thumb, so he had to leave the game. Good news that we're getting post uh, post game reports is that 
the imaging was negative. So again, no structural damage to, to either of those guys with Barnes's ankle and with uh, Young's thumb. But when you're looking at that, how much of an impact do you think it's going to be on the Raptors losing? Uh, obviously, Scotty Barnes is more of an impact for them, but that Young, a quality veteran guy too. And game two is only coming up you know, two days from now on Monday. How much do you think that's going to hurt the Raptors going into, going into that second matchup? Yeah, I will say um, uh, Eric Kareen, who writes for the rap, recovers the after Raptors Athletic, uh, tweeted that X-rays were negative for both. Uh, X-rays never Scott. X-rays were negative for Scotty Barnes. He'll get further imaging tomorrow. Same with Scott Young. So at least some positive news, just in general, um, for those two and their health. Um, but it makes a big difference because the Raptors aren't a deep team. They only go about seven and a half deep, really. Um, Fad's one of their key guys off the bench, along with Precious Achua. Um, same with Chris Boucher. Um, they don't have a lot of options there. And, you know, like, and obviously Scotty is one of their kind of key half court creators. He was really good tonight. Um, 15 points, eight assists, 10, 10 rebounds. He was maybe on in a block to a really nice rotation on a hardened drive or maybe a Harris drive. I can't recall. Um, and he was good. Like he's just, he's able to kind of use his length and his touch and his size to exploit smaller defenders. And the Sixers have been switching a lot of stuff against the Raptors this year. So, um, his presence is key. Uh, and as he mentioned, Thad, just his versatility and maybe ability to you know, work on the short roll a little bit as a cutter and occasionally have a spot up three, especially from the corners, good pass or good kind of connective player. Um, that's important for them. And so hopefully for their sake, they're they're good. And, um, you know, you, you you want them to be back because this rapper team is really fun and good. Um, but it's a it's a huge loss, if, they, if, if especially with Scotty, because then you you're starting Chris Boucher. And Boucher had seven points on three, three shots tonight, but I didn't think he was very good. I thought he was really inattentive off the ball defensively. He had six fouls, fouled shake on that three. And I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily like an egregious foul, but he clearly kind of impeded on, on shakes airspace a little bit. So um, that's, that's a big difference of a player. Boucher is a solid rotation guy off the bench, but he's not Scotty Barnes in a number of ways. Um, and maybe you start precious there. And that really only further complicates your half court scoring. Um, you know, precious is a pretty, solid spot up guy from three, but he's not the level of self creator and passer uh, and interior scorer that Scotty Barnes is. So um, it really changes the equation for them. And you, like I said, you just hope that Scotty is okay and he can come back, you know, hopefully for Monday, but you know, at some point in the series, regardless, but um, really, really big loss for them, especially on offense. Like, as I said, given kind of the, the scoring punch and creation punch that, that Scotty offers. Yeah. That's, and that's going to be an interesting interesting obviously wrinkle to all this because we saw how good of a job Barnes did guarding Harden too, uh force him into a ton of tough shots as we mentioned uh didn't shoot the ball particularly well James didn't at six to 17 and some of that credit should be given to to Scotty Barnes for the job he was doing defensively and obviously you know right in, in the running for rookie of the year might be in my opinion should win it but again that depends on Evan Mobley Cade Cunningham uh obviously going to have a huge impact on the Raptors going forward if he's not at 100 percent but looking at this now from an analytics standpoint and looking at what, what the Raptors might do in terms of their game planning. You mentioned this too, that the Sixers, they space the floor really well. And that was an issue we've seen a few times throughout the season, especially in losses is that they don't space the, the floor too well in the offensive end. Don't get a lot of movement off ball. Didn't see that today. Everything kind of worked. Everything was flowing and going well. And the defensively, as you mentioned before, they didn't give a lot, whole lot to Toronto in terms of in the paint. So if you're Nick Nurse now and you're looking at this from that perspective, how do you think the Raptors are going to try and counter things in game two? Yeah, so I think one thing you'll probably see more of is a lot of actions involving Siakam and Van Vliet. Um, both of them were pretty solid. You know, Van Vliet struggled to get downhill, but he still hit 4-3, 7-12 from the field before fouling out. 
Um, so I still able to play 36 minutes, so he'll take that. Um, you know, Siakam, I, I thought, you know, Joel had some nice possession, same with Tobias, but still under with 24 and 7, 18 shots, five free throws, three blocks. Um, I think you'll see even more of that, you know, just two men games, whether it's a, you know, a classic pick and roll with Van Vliet handling or kind of a, an inverted pick and roll with Van Vliet screening for Siakam because he's such a good screener. They ran that maybe once or twice. Uh, Siakam missed an open jumper, but it kind of caused some confusion for Maxi and Joel who were involved in the action. Uh, that's the one thing I would, I would look to see. Um, you wonder, do they, do they say, okay, well, like not all of our, you know, we're not just entirely interchangeable with our, you know, glut of wings, but we may put a lesser guy on Harden and put someone even better on Maxi because we know that Harden's going to look to kind of have that help shading toward him when he's handling up top and then swing to Maxi. So um, that could be a thing. You know, I think in the second half, they clearly were very aggressive doubling Joel and it gave Joel some issues offensively. So um, could see more of that Boucher with his length, you know, as a helper is, I think kind of the last couple of years has given Joel some issues. So um We'll see what happens there. You know, obviously the you know the offense for the Sixers was very good in both halves, but both halves, excuse me. Um, but you know they benefited in the second half from Max's explosion, whereas the first half felt pretty replicable for the most part, um, just from the process of it. But when they started double Joel in the second half and maybe muck up some of the Joel or Harden Joel pick and rolls, um, they kind of needed that Maxi explosion to have another sixty-plus point quarter. Um, and if they're going to load up on those two, who's to say, they got like, you know, Maxi couldn't continue to really thrive or Tobias or even a shake, maybe in the Yang. Um, but I think you will live with that if you're Toronto, right? Like you'd rather have a second half outcome where it's like, okay, yeah, the, the guy we have third on our, our priority list, uh, buried us versus, you know, these two all-star guys. So, um, those are the things I'd look for, but I'm sure Nick Nurse and the Toronto coaching staff have a bunch of other things that they'll discover in the next, you know, two days that I can't think off the, off the cuff right now, but, um, I imagine we'll see at least some of that stuff uh, on, on Monday and, you know, whether it's Wednesday and moving forward. Yeah. And, and looking at that too, as you mentioned, the Sixers, you know, got some terrible shooting outings from their two superstars. You look at it that Joel and, and James Harden combined to go 11 to 32, not going to happen most nights. So even if the Raptors do try and make adjustments, and as you mentioned that they might say, Hey, we can live with Maxi and Tobias Harris beating us. But again, if they keep Joel to what he's doing, what he did in game one, in terms of on the offensive end and Maxi and Harris don't have those types of games, it'll, it'll bring the Raptors right back into it. Uh, Jackson will wrap up with things here. Is there anything that you saw in game one that you look at now and think to yourself, okay, this is going to completely go the Sixers way. Or are you looking at this and say, Hey, this is the first game in what a lot of people and were anticipating will be a long series going into this one. But is there anything you look at now? And given the fact that we don't know how healthy Scotty Barnes, we don't know how healthy Thad Young are going to be and seeing what we saw from Maxi and, and Harris, particularly combined and for 64 points. Is there anything you saw in this game that gives you any more reason to be confident that the Sixers should be able to take on and win this series. Yeah, I mean, so I I, I don't ever want to downplay the Raptors, and I hope anything I say after this is not interpreted that way. But um, like I said at the start, their their three of their pillars were you know forcing turnovers, getting out in transition, and offensive rebounding. And I think some of that is something that you can is kind of a benefit of how I don't want to how do I phrase like really kind of fully committing to the regular season. And I, I feel like I think that can be quelled a little bit when a team is fully focused in the, in the playoffs, even saw it with the Grizzlies a little bit today as well. Um, they're a team that gets out in traditional lot and crashes the offensive glass. They struggle with those things. And they're lost to the wolves. And so I think you have to be kind of encouraged from a Sixers perspective 
that they were able, they were they clearly had a greater emphasis to get back in transition and load up against the ball and whatnot. And they clearly were much better about crashing the glass and taking away Toronto's offensive rebounding trans- possessions. And that's not like not like the Toronto wasn't trying to do either of those things. It's clearly kind of their ethos, so or its ethos, I should say. So that that would be encouraging for me from a Sixers perspective. Just that I think they're clearly scheming more for those things in a series than maybe they did in individual games. That's not to excuse how they played in those individual games and their losses to Toronto, but um, I just feel those those kind of aspects that are foundational to the to Toronto are a little easier to curtail when you're scouting for it in a seven game series. And so in game, game one, that's clearly the case. So um, I think the, the Sixers are a more talented team, and they clearly have struggled with consistency all year. They could lay lay an egg in game two and lose by 20. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just the level of execution and communication and kind of crispness they had um, was not something we've seen consistently from the Sixers this year, but it was clearly there in game one. And I think if you see it in game two and they win, you know, by 12 points, eight points, whatever it is, you should be pretty, pretty encouraged um, moving forward. And I think you should still be encouraged because I just – they just look like, look like the better team. Like they, they really did. And I, that could change. I don't ever want to like overblow anything from one game, but they looked like a better team in this one. Um, first blowout of the season series between these two teams in five games. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where I stand. I'm not saying it's going to be a four game series or a five game series. I guess my pick was always Sixers and six. Um, but I, I feel like this team is when they're both peaking at the, their highest level, the Sixers have an advantage. And I think that was the case in game one without whether that continues moving forward is yet to be seen. But if they play, if both teams kind of play like they did, you know, in this one, I think the Sixers should kind of win this one without, you know, a seventh game occurring and, you know, not saying they're going to dispatch them easily, not every game to be 20 more blowout, but you would clearly come away from that serious feeling like the, the Sixers are the superior team. Yeah, it's, it's funny because we've seen the lack of consistency from the Sixers all season long, so I'm not holding my breath for another 130-point outing come, in, come time for Game 2. But again, an encouraging start. And when you're, as I mentioned, when you get Joel struggling the way he did from the field and still be able to beat a very good team in the Raptors and, and Tyrese performing the way he did, I think all things are, are pretty encouraging going to Game 2, which is coming up on Monday. Uh, Jackson, we'll wrap things up there. Thank you, as always, for joining me. Always fun having you on and looking forward to doing this a whole lot more in what is hopefully a deep playoff run for Philly. All right, that'll do it for this one. Before we wrap things up, don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. We'll have you covered throughout the entire postseason. A couple of new shows as well. Paul Hedrick will be on the Sixers beat. He'll be giving you a few updates throughout the week in terms of short episodes and, and telling you kind of what's going on behind the scenes with the Sixers. And of course, I'll be doing an NBA whip around, kind of giving you a look at the entire playoff field as we get through round one. And also, as I mentioned off the top, always appreciate a five-star review. And don't forget to check out libertyballers.com where we'll have you covered for all things Sixers throughout the entire postseason. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. High-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. From data privacy to the future of TV, retail media, and beyond... 
the world of digital marketing is constantly in flux. So how can you keep up? Well, The Current Report is there for you. Each week, marketing leaders on the cutting edge give you the latest insight. So if it's creating a buzz, they'll be talking about it. Subscribe to The Current Report wherever you get your podcasts.